You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. So let's take a look at what what Paul says as he finishes out this letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 6.21 says, So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It may just seem like Paul giving everybody a hug, like, hey, I'm not there in person, but I want to say goodbye to you, and I just want to just love on you and just give you a hug, but I couldn't do that, and so I sent this other faithful brother to take my greetings to you and to tell you how I feel about you, and so that he can also report to you how I'm doing so that you could be praying for me and my companions on our ministry journey, all of those things. It, it seems simple enough in that regard. But I think there's something deeper here. And, and the men on Wednesday night, we discussed this issue of discipleship. And I think this is an indication of ongoing relational discipleship. I think this is what Paul is showing an example of in practice. He's not teaching a specific doctrine necessarily, but he is showing by his example of the relationship that we are to have within the church. I want you to know how I'm doing so that you can pray for me. I want to know how you're doing and how you've responded to what God has said through me for your growth and your development, your understanding of how the church is supposed to function. And I want you just to know my love for you and God's love for you. And I want you to experience grace. See, this is the relationship of what we call discipleship in the church. For years now, discipleship has sort of been one of these um, hot topic, hot phrases within the church. And each church, no matter how large or small, there's sort of this expectation that they would have some type of program that could disciple someone as though this were a uh, some sort of verb, right? They use the word disciple as some sort of verb that, that if, you know, if I'm in relationship with someone and they're new to the faith or uh, don't know much about their faith, that someone would take them and disciple them, thereby turning them into a deeper or better follower of Jesus. And so endless amounts of books written on this, endless amounts of seminars and classes and, and all of these kinds of things to a good end, because isn't that what Jesus told us to do? In Matthew 28, as he sent out his disciples, those who learned from him, to go out into the world and take this message of the gospel, he didn't just say, go out and make converts. Don't just go out and convince people to believe in who he is. He said, go out and make disciples. Go teach people to live in the way that I've taught you how to live. See, we have to sort of uh, reframe our thought process on what discipleship is and looks like based on who Jesus is and the culture and time that he was living. Now remember, Jesus was Jewish. And Jesus was, from a very early age into his ministry later in life until his death, Jesus was considered a rabbi. He was considered a teacher. In fact, at a young age, he amazed the elders in the temple 
if you remember that story, about his knowledge of Scripture, which would have been the law, the Old Testament as you and I would refer to it, the law and the prophets. In fact, so much so that he spent three days just sitting in the temple, hanging out and talking about the law with the elders, and they were just amazed at what Jesus could know. And, and so as Jesus grew and began his ministry, the proclamation of the gospel, the kingdom of God coming near, he collected to himself students of his school of teaching. And so what I want you to understand is, is um, when we talk about discipleship, it, it's not so much about us figuring out what kind of program is going to work for people to be in love with Jesus. It needs to be based in, are we teaching people what Jesus has taught us? Which would lead us to the understanding that we need to know what Jesus has taught us. We need to be really familiar with Jesus. And can we say, I've learned something from Jesus. By reading the word, by spending time in prayer, by being in fellowship, Jesus has taught me some things that I now can go impart to someone else, that I could teach someone else. And so to begin and, and sort of move back just, just for a second, disciple, let's talk about sort of defining what discipleship is based on that information. Jesus saying, go out and make disciples. Discipleship is not, let's start with this, discipleship is not a standardized structure of some kind. It's not necessarily a workbook. It's not necessarily a, a seminar or a retreat. Those things can be tools to help disciple people, but just assuming that I've gone through some book or I've gone through some course that's called discipleship and I've completed the 10-week course of discipleship means that somehow I'm in. Like, I've, that's it. I've done my discipleship. On with the rest of my life. What we need to understand that discipleship is, by definition, it's the process by which we are changed by Jesus. This is discipleship. We, we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we approach Jesus, and we, we start to come under, and understand that he and I aren't the same. He, he's incredibly different than me, right? Like the way that I process the world around me and the way that I think about things and the way that I uh, engage in relationships, very, very different than how Jesus does it. And, and it would seem that the way Jesus does it is better than the way I do it. There just seems to, things seem to work out for Jesus in a way that they don't seem to work out for me. And so when I approach Jesus, my desire should be to become more like him and to be changed by what he is teaching me, by what he is showing me, so that I become more and more like him. And so what we gain in discipleship to Jesus is knowledge of really three things. So take note of this. This is what discipleship should do for us. It should increase our knowledge of God and self. We should know who God is through the person of Jesus. Jesus says to his followers, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus claims divinity. He claims that he and the Father are one, saying, in essence, I am God. I'm the visual image of God. This is why the, the religious leaders of that day and age wanted to stone him, because he was saying, I'm God, right? He goes, you know, before your father Abraham, I was. I was there before him, right? So, so when, we, when we are discipled in the faith, 
When we learn about Jesus, we learn about who God is, and then we also learn about who we are in Jesus. We have this awesome cross here now. I'm so stoked. Mike and his, and, his, and his apprentice built this for us this week. It's so cool. I love it. Because as a preacher, there's nothing more important than being able to go, Jesus, and point at a cross. Not as a symbol of Roman torture, but as the beginning point of our salvation and redemption. The cross and Christ crucified. Our new identity begins here. This is where Jesus takes our sins upon himself, pays a ransom that we could not pay for our life because of our slavery to sin. And Jesus says, I'll take it to the cross. And it's done away with. The Father accepts it because he's the perfect sacrifice. So we start in being discipled to Jesus. We learn who God is through Jesus because he is God. And we learn who we are, new creations in Christ, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The second thing that we learn in discipleship is we grow in knowledge about the church, how the body of Christ functions, how it is that Jesus is the head, and then we're just the body parts. We're the arms and the legs, the feet, the hands, the mouth. We're all these things that Jesus uses to push his his purpose and his mission and his plan of salvation out into the world. He asks us to partner with him to be his body, that's what the church is. And when we're discipled to Jesus, we get to know God, we get to know ourselves. but then we also understand we do not get to do this on our own. We don't get to say, I'm just gonna take me and my Bible and I'm gonna go sit out in the woods and, and be a disciple of Jesus in that way. Jesus says, you're a part of my body. You, you guys need to be together. For better or worse, with all of the conflicts and all the challenges that come out when you get groups of people together, Jesus says, this is how you're to figure out and do what I've given you to do, which leads to the third thing that we have knowledge of when we're discipled by Jesus, and that is gospel mission. Jesus gives us individual marching orders, if you will. When we come into faith, when we receive salvation, when we believe upon the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, when we understand and receive the grace of God sealed by the Holy Spirit, that we have a future and a hope, a promise that cannot be extinguished by any doubt, by any fear, by any anxiety. When we have this eternal hope in us, we are then given a mission to say, go out into all of the world and make other disciples. The same things you've learned and been taught by Jesus you go out and do that as well. You share that with other people. Far too long in our system of religion, our system of church, we've relied upon professionals, those who have been trained and who are uh, perhaps gifted in certain aspects of the ministry, standing in front of people and speaking, studying and understanding the depth of scripture and explaining that all important, all good. But what we've done a disservice in is thinking that that's all our role is, is to show up and increase our knowledge, to listen to somebody else who's gifted and, and then simply take that and be uh, confident in our growth in scripture rather than the marching orders that Jesus gave that says each one of us is, is responsible to go out and make disciples of other people. And you might think to yourself, how can that be? I'm a new Christian, I'm young, and, and maybe I don't know enough. Here's the thing. 
if you're faithful to spend time with Jesus, to receive of what he has to teach you in the scriptures, to come and be a part of the body of Christ, a Bible study, a fellowship group, where someone who's further along in their walk with Christ, sharing things with you, helping you understand and grow, I guarantee you there's someone you're going to come into contact with that knows less than you. And so you simply take the little bit that you know and you share that with someone else. And you impart that truth to someone else. Or if you're even in a place where you just don't even understand how to articulate those things yet, here's the one thing you can do for sure. is pray for someone. Like legitimately pray for them. Not, not the sort of colloquial, I'll pray for you, right? And you think about it maybe, right? Like and maybe it passes your thought. No, but actually dedicate time to say, I'm actually going to by name pray for the person I said I'm going to pray for. I'm going to ask God to intercede in that person's life. I'm going to do like what we learned last week. I'm going to actually beg and plead for the thing that I want in that person's life. Salvation for those who are lost. Healing for those who are hurt. Restoration for things that are broken. I'm actually going to beg and plead for those things. I'm going to make that effort. It's a result of being a new creation in Christ. And so in regard to this issue of discipleship and what we're supposed to grow in and receive in terms of discipleship, this this process by which we're changed by following Jesus, I want to go back to the beginning of the story to show you what that looks like. So turn to Mark chapter 1, if you will. And I think this is a good time to, to explain as well. You know, we're finishing Ephesians here with those last couple of verses that sort of give us this indication that Paul had this real relational discipleship thing going on with these local churches. And we've been going through the epistles. We finished Romans. Uh, we did First and Second Corinthians. We did Galatians. We've done Ephesians now. I, I love going through the epistles, but there's something sitting on my heart where I'm like, Remember how I've said Paul's really repetitive a lot and he repeats things because he's talking to different churches? Well, if we were to jump into Philippians, we would get a lot of the same. A lot of discussion about unity, a lot of discussion about pursuit of holiness. Great, really important stuff. Not, not limiting the importance of those things. I just feel like where we are as a church, I think it'd be really important for us right now to go back and hear the story of Jesus again. And so next week, as, as we jump in, not, not this Wednesday because of the movie, uh, but next Sunday, and then the following Bible studies after that, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark. That's going to be our next study, okay? So if you want to read ahead, it's the shortest of the Gospels. Um, I'll give you some background on, on sort of where it sits within the timeline of the early uh, Christian movement. But um, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark. So apropos, we're here now. Take a look at Mark chapter 1. Verse 14, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, and that was John the Baptist, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Boy, okay, I'm going to have to watch the clock, but, but here's the deal. When Jesus himself says, this is the gospel, this is the good news, uh, we can trust him, right? Like when Jesus begins to define something for us, we should probably err on the side of like, let's just say what Jesus says. So many places within the Christian faith these days want to try and explain the gospel as something that it is not, right? A lot of times what we'll hear um, uh, is that like social activism and social change is the gospel in action, And that might have some form of truth to it. But listen, this is what the gospel is. When we talk about the good news that Jesus came to proclaim, here it is. The time is fulfilled. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. That's critical to understand. And here's the last part of it. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus outlines very clearly, very simply, what this good news is. It's that the kingdom of God, which has been distant from God's people, it's been held at arm's length because of the sin of mankind. Now, because of Jesus and the fulfillment of the law in his perfection, in his death and resurrection, the kingdom of God actually descends and it lives among his people. This is the good news, that we have relationship with God. And the way to experience that relationship is to repent and to believe. Boy, if that's not a part of our conversation or our mission in helping people understand God's love for them is the need to repent and believe upon the work of Christ, then we're missing it 100%. It has to be a part of it. Now, Jesus calling his disciples, verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I gave this background to the men on Wednesday, but understand this. Jesus being a rabbi and, and, and being known for his understanding of the law and being able to teach and, and expand on what that means and him making the proclamation that, hey, the kingdom of God is now here. Because of me, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in this gospel, and he's now going to accumulate to himself students, followers who are going to listen to his teaching and follow his teaching. These young men who are sitting at the seaside with their father, casting nets, repairing nets, fishing for a living, these young men, you have to understand, what they're doing when it says that they left their nets and they immediately followed Jesus, they are saying... I am giving up my family business. I'm, I'm leaving behind the promise of provision, wealth, all of these things because I see in this rabbi the life that I want to have. I'm leaving everything behind and I'm dedicating myself fully to him, which means my provision for food, where I lay my head at night, how I clothe myself, all of those things are based in me following this Teacher, isn't that what we're supposed to do with Jesus? If he's our teacher, if he's our rabbi, if he's the one we're following after and we're giving ourselves to him, isn't he the one that we're supposed to completely rely on for everything? We'll get there, but Jesus is going to teach how, how even Solomon and all of his wealth, right, wasn't clothed or provided for in the same way that God provides even for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And Jesus is going to explain to his followers, listen, if you're following me, you're never going to have need of anything. Now we have to put that into context, into perspective. That doesn't mean we're going to somehow magically get a paycheck that deposits into our bank account. It doesn't mean that we're going to have the things that in the world's eyes looks like success or, or some sort of, uh, uh, of pleasure of some kind. 
But what we are promised is that Jesus will supply all of our needs. That's a great exercise. It's a frustrating one, but that's a great exercise. Measure the things that you need versus the things that you want. Measure the things that you need versus the things that you want. Got a lot of things in my garage I don't need. Yeah, but what if? Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, but in six months, if I, uh uh-uh. There's things I don't need that I'm holding on to, man. There's things that need to go away. That'll be a discussion later with my wife, I'm sure. (laughs) But we don't need that many coffee mugs. Sorry. I don't care where we collected them from or what memory it brings to mind. We don't need that many coffee mugs. You guys are listening to the interior conversation of our household right now. Listen, what do we need versus what do we want, right? These men, these young men, saw in Jesus what they needed. And they said, I'm simply going to follow him, and he's going to provide for me. Now, I want you to see something at the end of the story. This is how Jesus called his disciples. He, he looked at them and said, come follow me. I have this good news to share with you. And they saw in Jesus the necessity of following him. We need to give our lives just to, just to follow after him and learn what he has to teach us. And along the way, they're going to encounter some pretty big, powerful things like, hey, we found the one. We found the guy who actually fulfills what the scripture says. He is the Messiah. Mashiach Adonai. He is the Lord, the Messiah, right? Like that's important to to put into context and understand what they discovered along the way. But the question is for us in our context, yeah, we get it. We start with Jesus and we believe upon Jesus and we even get that sense that he's called us. From wherever we've been, it's like Jesus has been calling to me my whole life. However old you are, when you came to place faith upon him, it's in response to that that concept or that feeling or that thought of like, man, I can't escape him. He's coming after me. He wants me. And it's hard because in following him, I know I got to have this new life. I got to give up some things that perhaps maybe I loved before I loved Jesus. But the reality is he's coming for you. He wants you. And for us to understand, okay, I believe he wants me. I'm in that relationship. What does that look like now for the rest of my life? How am I supposed to be discipled by Jesus? I want you to see the end of the story scripturally. Turn to Luke chapter 24, please. This is the last scripture I'll ask you to turn to. But we're going to read this accounting that takes place after the resurrection. Jesus has already given his life on the cross. He's been buried. And then three days later, he raises up from the grave And he appears to the disciples. He shows himself to them. And then there's this awesome story in Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Luke 24, 13 says, That very day, two of them, meaning two of the disciples of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? 
I love Jesus' sense of humor. We, gotta, we have to stop and recognize Jesus has got a sense of humor. He's literally not letting them see that it's him, right? These were his disciples. They would have known him. He's hiding his image from them. They don't know that it's him. And then he's just playing dumb. He wants to hear what their thoughts are. And, and, and just he wants to hear them describe what's going on. He knows. He just lived it. Like he died and rose from the grave. He gets what's going on. He's been there the whole time. But he says in verse 19, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, Peter and John, and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, this is Jesus veiled speaking to his disciples, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Would not that be the best Bible study ever to have Jesus go, let's go back to Moses and let me describe for you how everything in the Old Testament that you might go, that's confusing, I don't know what that means. Jesus then explains, it's talking about me, here's how. Like, that would be the best Bible study ever. That's the one I want to sit at. And just go, Jesus, just tell me everything about you. And how every time I thought the, the Old Testament was boring or, or confusing, it was all about you. Do you know why people are bored at church? How many times have people ever said, church is boring, right? As kids, oftentimes we say church is boring. We don't understand what's going on. There's people who are older who are like, ah, I can't handle it sitting for 45 minutes listening to some guy, you know? People think church is boring. The reason people think church is boring is because they're not in awe. That's why church is boring. If it's just a ritual, if it's just somebody trying to teach you how to follow a set of rules, then my goodness, it's like sawdust. It's boring. It has no taste. There's There's no meaning to it. But if you understand that as I stand here and I read God's word, this isn't about what I think and me telling you and trying to convince you of of how you're supposed to live. It's quite simply God using a fool, using a donkey to talk to you and say, here's what I want you to know. I want to discuss this with you. I want you to have these thoughts in your mind to meditate on and think on. Then we can be in awe. And no matter how good the preacher is, no matter how good or bad the music is, no matter how wonderful the space is, it's God who's meeting with us in the midst of his people. If we're in awe of that, church will never be boring. And I get it. Some people are better speakers than others. Sometimes music is better at one place than another. I get all that. But if our awe is not in the people, but it's in Jesus, wherever he's proclaimed, we should be able to enjoy that experience. Let's finish this story here in Luke chapter 24. Verse 28 says, so they drew near to the village which they were going 
And he, Jesus, acted as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is now toward evening, and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, watch this, this is awesome. He took the bread, and he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. (laughs) Surprise, it's me. Bye. Verse 32, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, seven-mile trip back the other direction. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and mark this, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. There's so much here, you guys, but there's five things I want you to understand in regard to our discipleship with Jesus us walking with Jesus along this road, just like the disciples walking with him on the way to Emmaus. There's five things that I think we need to understand and embrace in terms of our own discipleship. Number one is that discipleship is relational. Discipleship is all about relationship, and it's relationship within the context of the church. To be discipled, you have to be in already. For someone, for someone to be a non-believer, there is no discipleship towards Jesus. At that point, it's simply evangelism. If you're talking to someone who's not a believer, who doesn't believe in Jesus, you're not, there's no way you can take someone who doesn't believe in Jesus and has been saved and simply say, start doing the things that Christians do and you'll improve your life, it'll get better, it'll be helpful to you. It may because pursuing holiness is always good, but it's not going to have a fundamental heart change for that person. At that point, if you're trying to be in a relationship with someone who's a non-believer, doesn't believe in Jesus, that's evangelism. You're simply sharing the story of Jesus and then the Holy Spirit is drawing them and working on their heart to submit themselves to that truth. In the church, we disciple each other relationally and I believe that's what Paul shows. I want you to know all about my life. I want to know all about your life and the things that are hard, we're going to pray for each other about. The things that are broken and not working right, we're going to use godly wisdom to figure out how to organize things and structure things in a way that will glorify God and be good for us in relationship. Discipleship is relational, number one. Number two, discipleship is slow. This is the part that our modern church was sort of the Western plausibility structure that we operate under most of the time. Bigger, better, faster, stronger, right? That's sort of a Western concept. We don't do really well with let's sit at a table for three hours and just talk about Jesus. Oh, we'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about Ducks football. We'll talk about how bad the governor of the state of Oregon is. And we'll talk about all the politics in the world. We could spend endless amounts of time doing that. But what if we just sat down at a table and just talked about Jesus for three hours, four hours, spent all of our time relationally slowly developing an understanding of what he is and who he is to us. See, again, we've developed structures within the church. 10-week discipleship course, great. I can mark that off on my calendar. Week one, done. Week two, done. Got it. Approaching 10 weeks, great. I should be a super disciple now. Right? We like that because then it gives us a a goal. I just got to make it through 10 weeks. And then I can advance to the 
next level of whatever I'm supposed to be as a Christian, right? And we put these expectations on each other in that regard. But look, these are the same disciples. We don't know exactly who they are. One's named Cleopas. There's some debate over who that actually is. But understand, remember, Jesus called his disciples away from their lives to follow after him three years earlier. And they all left their thing behind and followed after Jesus and walked with him for three years up until his his death and his resurrection. And here it is three years later. They were with Jesus every day and they couldn't even recognize him. They didn't understand all the Old Testament stuff yet necessarily. Jesus had to open their eyes to these things. And, And even then, they're sitting with him at table and he blesses and breaks the bread and then their eyes are open to who he is. Discipleship is slow. It takes time. It takes time walking with Jesus. It takes time figuring out how the events of our day and age relate to what God desires from us. The third thing is that discipleship is seasonal. It's relational, it's slow, but discipleship is seasonal. And here's what that means. It doesn't happen all at once. There are going to be seasons where you'll never feel closer to God. You're just all in and you can't stop reading your Bible and prayer becomes this real thing and you start seeing God move and the Holy Spirit does miraculous things or you see someone you've been praying for come to faith and you're just like, this is it. This is what I want for the rest of my life. And then you hit that season where it just feels like everything just dries up. You're like, I'm doing the same things. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going to church. Why is it that I'm somehow just not getting it? Again, these guys had spent three years with Jesus, and here they are in this this conundrum going, he said he was the one, we thought he was the one, we thought he was the anointed one sent by God to redeem us. They expressed this to the hidden Jesus at that point. Yet they're confused, and they're like, some of our companions said that the tomb was empty, and we don't really have any reason to doubt them, but where is he, and what is he doing, and how come we're still here? There's seasons where you grow in leaps and bounds. Then there's seasons where you have to scratch and claw for every moment of faithfulness. But in the end, it's always worth it. Why? Because Jesus does not remain hidden. He reveals himself to us. The fourth fourth way that we disciple or are discipled is purposefully. Discipleship is relational, it's slow, it's seasonal, but it's purposeful. And what that means is, is that it is under the direction of Scripture. Notice how Jesus went back to the Scriptures, and starting with Moses and the law, he opened up their minds and their eyes to everything that was about him. This is part of where we get our statement that you can find Jesus on every page of the Bible. There's a challenge for you. As you're reading through the Old Testament and you're reading through genealogies or you're reading through the law, all these kinds of things, understand that you can find Jesus on every page of the Bible. When you understand that and you start seeing that, all of a sudden, it's not boring anymore, is it? All of a sudden, it's entirely related to our own salvation. And so discipleship takes place relationally, slowly, seasonally, but purposely under the direction of the scripture. We are discipled. And then finally, finally, 
Discipleship needs to be done honestly. These guys at the end of the story, when Jesus disappears from their sight, which I just, I love. I'm reading Lord of the Rings again for fun. I'm trying to find times when I'm not just studying, and so I'm, I'm reading something for pleasure. And for me, it's Lord of the Rings. Mock all you want. I could care less. But I'm reading Lord of the Rings, and here I am, Fellowship of the Ring. And, you know, there's that, the, the ring is this all-powerful ring, and if you put it on, you disappear, right? You go invisible. It's awesome. Really great, right? Um, but that's, this is basically like what Bilbo does at his birthday party, right? I'm going now, puts the ring on, and boom, he disappears, right? It's magic. I love it. It's, it's, it's awesome. That's what Jesus does, and I, I really appreciate him for that reason. But what do the disciples say after Jesus leaves? They say, man, didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't we realize and understand? Read it, read it again. Here's what he say. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And then they go and they make the statement to the 11, to the gathered disciples, the Lord has risen indeed. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Discipleship needs to happen honestly. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves about the places where we have missed Jesus, where we have failed in understanding who he was, and where we have failed in, in believing what he has to teach us and what he has to say to us. When we're honest with ourselves, when we're not putting on the act or the show of, look how great I'm doing. I believed on Jesus and now everything seems to have worked out. That's a farce. That's not true. If you hear people claiming that, know that there's somewhere deep inside of them where there's still something broken. There's still something, some days that go poorly. That's just not, that's not real. And so we have to be honest with our discipleship. We need to be transparent and open to the things that God wants to teach us through the example of other people and through their own, through their teaching perhaps. We need to repent of our sin, be sorry about our sin and confess on a daily basis. I would highly encourage you, I've said this before recently, but if you don't have a time during the day where you just take some time quietly away from everything else, shut it off, put the phone away, shut everything off, I don't care how long it is, take some time where you simply come before the Lord. Repent. Lord, I know I failed today. I know some specific ways I failed today. Here's what they are. Confess those things, repent. Turn away from them and go, God, I don't, that's not what I want. Show me how to... Be you. Show me how to do the things that you've taught me. Spend time in his word. Take in his word so that your soul is fed, your heart is fed, your mind is renewed. And then just talk back to him. Tell him thank you. Give him some praise. Ask for help. Pray for someone else. Yeah, if you don't have that in your life on a consistent basis, I would encourage you to do that. That's the type of honesty that we have to have in our own discipleship. The very last thing I want to say is this. Discipleship is a spiritual experience. There's a lot of practical application. There's a lot of practical truth to the things that Jesus taught us in terms of how we're to live our lives, what it's supposed to look like, how we're in relationship with, it, with other people. But discipleship at the end of the day is a spiritual experience. Jesus was revealed to them. Their eyes were opened when he broke the bread. It goes right along with with our understanding that we're growing in, that, yep, this is bread and it's a cup of juice, but there's something more going on here. When Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, 
if you don't eat of me, you can have no life. That's a mystery that we have to sort of just come under and go, I don't get that fully. I don't understand. But it's not just bread and a cup of juice. Spiritually, there's something going on here that Jesus says, this is going to feed you in a way that simply bread and wine cannot. It's going to satisfy you in a way that actual food and drink cannot satisfy you. And it's awesome that it was in that moment that their eyes were opened to who Jesus is. Discipleship is a spiritual experience. Spiritual things do not feel natural because they're not. They're supernatural. And so get comfortable being uncomfortable. This is the life we're called to as followers of Jesus, to go against what society and culture say are the norms. We go to Jesus to receive what our, what our life should look like and how we're to act and behave and all of these things. They're based in who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus. So we're discipled by him, and then we disciple others in the same manner. Relationally, slowly, seasonally, purposefully, and honestly.